And then uh, some bread came by, and I took a loaf of bread and literally broke it over my knee and just started eating it. Because we're going to throw out bread. And I'm like, don't throw out bread. It's I'm hungry. Bread. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Irrespective of where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> it came from Mark's knee. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> uh, this morning, I had to go through my phone and delete, like, a hundred photos of Mark eating bread. And, like... <laughs> With Nicole looking completely unamused about life. Oh She's God. like, yeah, I'm marrying this guy. <laughs> Make He's drinking a whiskey. <laughs> drinking whiskey with two pieces of bread in his hand. Why two, Mark? Why two? <laughs> whiskey, whiskey. The singer's getting sore. We raise the roof. Now we're lowering the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. I, I love your distinction between we taste a little whiskey and then we drink a little whiskey. <laughs> well, that originates from I ran wine tastings at Mount Allison University like, way back in the day in undergrad. And we used to put on wine tastings at the campus pub. And there was always a very clear moment in the night where it went from everyone sitting and having a bunch of glasses in front of them to everyone standing at the bar where all of the half-drank bottles were and just pounding. <laughs> so, it is now drinking. It's official. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds exactly like our tastings go. Totally. Yeah. Although it the, the switch sort of gets flicked a little quicker probably than in a wine tasting. Well, I like that we do like freestyle at the end. I like that it's like it's very formatted and then all of a sudden someone just calls like freestyle and everyone's doing their own solo dance. It's like, what do you got <laughs> in the cabinet here? I'm going to do single malts now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 25 of The Whiskey Topic. I'm Jamie Johnson, and I run a private but approachable whiskey club here in Toronto. I'm with Mark Bylock, my co-host and my friend, and the author of um, The Whiskey Cabinet. And we've got our friend Glenford Jameson here uh, as well, and we're going to have a super fun show talking a lot of trash. And by trash, you mean whiskey. That's right. Yeah, so we're gonna we're doing uh, we're doing a couple of things. First of all, we're celebrating. It's gonna be our it's our twenty fifth episode. We're pretty proud of that. I think um, Jamie and I really weren't sure what we were doing the first several episodes, um, and still really today. I was gonna say things haven't changed that much. <laughs> no, I mean I keep playing with the intros and the outros, and we never really get the outros right. And sometimes I just like start the podcast in the middle of a conversation because I don't even know <laughs> where, we just, where to start. <laughs> so I. Pretty thankful that everybody listened through all that, which is great. Hey, that's nice. And, and of course, I have two favorite people, Jamie and Glenn. Aww. Yeah, thanks, man. Excited to be here. Yeah. So nice. Aww. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very sweet. So we thought we would talk about what? We're going to talk about our um, some a few favorite moments in our podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about a tasting we did. And I, the tasting we did um, was interesting. We had a bunch of people over like we did the last time. And uh, we were going for a low proof versus high proof to find out uh, the same whiskeys or very similar whiskeys, basically, but um, whether the we like the higher proof or lower proof um, whiskey better. So we'll talk about that tasting, and it's um, it, it was a pretty good one. It was a, I, I think everybody had a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I like that. I mean, it's hard to not have fun with you guys at a whiskey tasting, really, though. Once again, we had a very rounded discussion with different palates and different preferences, and um, I think all of us kind of leaned in one direction or another direction, but there were exceptions, and that was very cool. 
Yeah. I like how Glenford always shows up with like um, his notepad and a paper and he really commits to tasting notes. I've been running lawyers tastings for bourbon at my place, which has been a lot of fun. At one of the tastings, uh, we had an adult education expert who used to be a, a librarian at a major law firm. And we ran the tasting and I asked her for feedback. And she said, well, like something that adults really like is is being able to sort of write down thoughts and collect them before speaking. So there are those people that just sort of like shoot from the hip. And then there are those that maybe they're less confident or they don't know uh, or they really need to sort of take some time and, and make notes and chart what they're doing. Uh, and it's awesome. Uh, and then again, of course, it's like as a paper trail is really fun to revisit later on down the road. <laughs> and, and Glenn, did you find your notes from that night? No, absolutely not. They're in my <laughs> office somewhere. I have no idea where, but it's like, needs to be, it's not like I have a whiskey tasting file folder or, uh, yeah, file Maybe you should. Kind of I know, like, how could you <laughs> not have one? It's, it's on the list. It's a long list, but it's on the list. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, so no notes uh, now, although I furiously wrote things down while I was there. Uh, yeah, I find it super helpful, though. Super helpful. I think that's great. I wish I was more organized like that. I'm not. Well, I mean, just... you no, know, I know. I was going to say the one thing about having electronic notes is you can just search for them. Like literally just ask the computer, whiskey tasting, this date, and somehow your computer finds it. It works. Some Sometimes I feel like, Mark, you live in a world of technology that I just have not entered yet. Like, you talk into your wrist and, like, you answer phones, like, your phone calls, like, like the Jetsons. And you have all these crazy apps. And it just – I have not yet asked my computer uh, to call up a spreadsheet for me. Well, I, I think now I'm I'm even going to the point like I you know the Blue Jays have been playing really well and it's like every morning I wake up and I'm like what's the state what are the standings and it, the Siri just tells me it's great it's amazing like technology is wonderful just got to use it a little bit more just got to push it. I it's still take notes on paper. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here with a pen and paper. <laughs> well, Jamie, what are you drinking today? Let's start there. I'm drinking Rittenhouse Rye today. Um, 100 Proof, Bottled and Bond. I'm just reading the label right here. <laughs> um, Heaven Hill Distillery. Um, yeah, it's a go-to sort of um, regular old rye that people sort of uh, happily hang their hat on. Uh, and uh, what, Yes? No, sorry, go, go on, ahead. go on. No, I want to hear what you have to say. No, I was wondering, um, you've got the new Rittenhouse, I assume. I... Yes. The new labeling. I think so. Because I mean, I don't know. Do I? Yeah, because there's this whole um, there's this whole uh, Rittenhouse uh, controversy, right? With the um, new and old uh, Rittenhouse. Um, okay. One of the old ones. Um, so it it used to it was always produced by Heaven Hill. Well, not always. Yeah. That's that's a tough word to use in the whiskey world. Right. Um, yeah. But it was it's it's a Heaven Hill product, but. Um, when their distillery burnt down, uh, when they had the, the issues with the fire, um, they transferred um, Rittenhouse to, I believe, Jim Beam. And Jim Beam made the product for them for like four or five years. Okay. And now it's back to Rittenhouse. And oh, as back, back to, to Heaven Hill. Back to Heaven Hill. And so um, there's been a lot of bloggers that are just like, this: the, the new stuff isn't as good as the old stuff. Like, it's not the same. Oh. And like... 
the blogosphere is pretty loud about this. They're just like, no, not the same, not the same whiskey. Um, well, I couldn't tell you. Do you have it a, a bottle yourself? I do, but I, it's it's pretty old. Um, hmm. It's uh, it's mine is brand new. I just cracked it. Yeah, no, I've got the I've got the old one, but it's it's pretty like it's mostly done. Um, yeah, actually, Eric of uh, uh, dot wrote an article about this, uh, the old versus new, and how the uh, old one then. The new one is not as good as the old one. Hmm. This one is fine. I I know a lot of it. Well, and, you know, in sort of, as we know, uh, the whiskey sort of uh, traditions are, you know, very uh, important to people. And, um, yeah, I, I and when something that is like affordable um sort of like i said you can hang your hat on mm-hmm. um i can see why people get a little uh bent out of shape when it seems as though the quality has gone down on something that you know had always been so dependable yeah and you know i can see why and it's yeah. actually I, I made a mistake on that it wasn't uh jim beaman's uh, brown foreman that made the rye uh for okay. many years and then um you you can tell basically by the labeling. It either says distilled and bottled in uh, Heaven Hill Distillery, or the old one just says uh, distilled by DSB uh, KY uh, Kentucky three five four and bottled by da 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 Barstown. Um, so just based on those labelings, you can tell whether it's been bottled, bo- whether it's been distilled uh, by Brown Foreman or by Heaven Hill. Now, and this oh. is interesting too, because cocktail like a lot of uh, bar like a lot of uh, bartenders love Rittenhouse Rye to mix with. Yeah, um, yeah, and, absolutely. And so I've, I've did the, I did do this tasting um, earlier with uh, two different bottles, and um, it was um, it was different. But I didn't I, I had so little of the old one left, and it wasn't really a fair tasting. I wouldn't say, but to me they okay. just tasted different, which you know not necessarily better or worse, just different. Right. Which, yeah, uh, I mean. I guess I can at this point I can only talk about what's in my glass and I'm it's 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 a nice rye. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Um I don't have any other one to compare it to. So um I think it it would be fine. It would continue to be fine for mixing. Um it's got a nice backbone to it. It's spicy. It's um it's good. I mean, yeah. but that's me and I I I sort of don't have any feelings about it otherwise. So um, I guess I'm just taking it for what it is mm-hmm. currently in my glass. And um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, that's 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 uh, it's an interesting story. I got a I think yeah. that makes for a it makes for a fun I'm story. Look I mean, into you know yeah. how uh, us, us <laughs> all of us whiskey geeks love these kind of this, this kind of stuff. It's like it's not the same, and we I freak know. out, <laughs> raise our arms, and like you know three other people in the world care. <laughs> um, though, I mean, speaking with bartenders, they do care because, I mean, they, these were in-house in very particular drinks, uh, you know, with the, maybe like Old Fashions or this or that or, or Manhattans or just, I think, other rye-based drinks mostly. And it is not fun. Um, so, Glenford Jameson, what are you drinking today? Uh, I have a very small dram of uh, Amrut Fusion from, I don't know, I think maybe like a 2011 release. Uh, or something like that. It's I live in Little India in Toronto, and I had this kicking around. We have been intending to have a like bottle stub end party for a while. Oh yeah, we got to do that. And now I'm starting to take that into my own hands. 
<laughs> Everything's going. <laughs> I, I would have like six bottles to bring you guys. So like, let's get on that. Yes, we got to schedule this. That's that's my to do right after this recording. Um, and and do you like the Damroot uh, Glen? It's uh, it's a good one, eh? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really nice. It's uh, it's unusual. It's I think different from most hot climate whiskeys. Um, it's got that nice peat to it. It's actually retained the peat throughout the bottle, which is kind of cool. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, really pleasurable. Yeah, because Amber Fusion, it's a quarter of the barley is um, peated from Scotland, and the thir- three quarters are are from India. And they blend it all together, and well, I, I'm guessing they they age it separately, but uh, they blend it together fine at the end. And uh, yeah, so it's like slightly peated, but not too peated. Yeah, and that kick of of like a more. It's got some heat to it, too, which is kind of nice. As a bourbon drinker, I appreciate that. Mark, what are you drinking? So I am doing the Old Granddad 114. I love that. Yeah. Yay. It's great. It's nutty. It's woody. It's oaky. It's it's just great. Nice nice drink. Very reasonably priced in the U.S. I mean, you really can't go wrong with that price in the U.S. for a drink that's 114 proof. Smoke yeah. them while you got them. That's <laughs> It's not gonna be like that forever. Yeah, no, that's a, a good fancy point. New label. Do you imagine old granddad? It's like uh, one twelve now. Sorry, and then it's gonna be like one oh eight. No, it would be a total disaster. There would be an uprising of of epic proportions of bourbon drinkers. It is so important to keep the these like go to bottles reasonable. Just for them, but it's like a twenty-five like, dollar drink. I mean, it, it ranges from twenty to thirty dollars. It's amazing. I mean, it really it's amazing. Is. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, but I think like makers taught the industry everything they needed to know about that. That's right. And I actually, like, I think last week I read this. Uh, makers is coming out with cast strength makers forty-six and cast strength twelve-year. Yes. And so, really interesting. So says the internet. Wow. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, okay, this is a little nerdy. Uh, the federal government in the United States uh, has a repository for all labels for alcohol bottles that need to be approved. And so if you're really geeking on what might or might not be coming out, you keep an eye on that. And then, Whoa. Uh, and then you'll see what labels are being thrown in there and what they say and what they're about. And so there was a Maker's 46 cast strength uh, label. Yeah, that's right. We'll, was, we'll put it in the show notes. But there's there's a website dedicated just to that. They they watch the uh, the labels and then they tell you what's coming up. That's amazing because uh, we've heard rumor that uh, we knew that the Maker's Mark twelve year old was was being poured at an event in Kentucky uh, that I almost drove to go to, but that didn't happen. Um, and yeah, so that that's great. And now a forty six cast strength. What did I say on the show? I'm like, I want. Maker's Mark 46 at cast strength. That's No, it's, it's that's a pretty gentle cast strength. It's, uh, I guess it's 109 proof. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, Maker's 46 is frustratingly 47% alcohol. So this is an additional, I think, like 7.5% up from there. Right. Fair. But, uh, but exciting. It'll be interesting to see what they, uh, what they do and how that weird oak stave thing that they do is, uh, yeah. how that translates to a cast strength. Huh. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. It'll be really interesting. It's nice to, like, it's it's exciting. It throws makers from, like, a group of people that I assume did not care to a group of people that are responsive to me, which I <laughs> <Yeah>. like. <laughs> As me, I'm really in favor of that approach. Well, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think we, so, you know, we've seen a few things on this, uh, on the podcast. We, 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 early on, we talked about Maker's Mark and how we want to see, you know, a 12 year old version of it, a cast strength version of it. And they, they, they're moving in that direction. We, uh, we blasted, uh, Russell's Reserve single small batch barrel, and that's been changed. Um, there's been a few other things on the show that we've kind of been like, ah, up in arms about. And then, like, a couple of weeks later, things quietly change. I like it. I like the idea of the whiskey topic being ground zero for change in the bourbon industry. Yeah. I'm happy to afford you that. <laughs> it's like a true example of thought leadership. Much of it probably completely by coincidence, except for the Russell's Reserve thing. But uh, <laughs> but still, regardless, it's uh, it's very, very cool. Um, you know, I've got some follow-up. So we had uh, last week, we had Sarah on the show. We talked about bruised alcohol. And I, I fo- actually found this really cool fact that's all about the martini. And it's very much um, basically has every single factoid about martinis you could ever have. And they talk about bruised alcohol. And so apparently the definition of bruised alcohol is to take some action that changes the taste of it. There you go. Water, heating it up, freezing it, so cooling it is down. Is this like, like letting, a, letting a whiskey sit in your glass for 20 minutes before you have it? Is that essentially bruising the alcohol as well? I think so. I think that's, that's right. Oh, yeah. So all of our stub ends of bottles are all like just deeply battered bottles of whiskey. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at it that way, it makes perfect sense. They're just, you know, they're, they're slightly bruised. They've, they've seen some few fights. They've, they've gone through a few battles, you know. Very interesting. That is really interesting. So maybe it's, I mean, if the definition is so broad, then maybe we just don't have to be, well, I think we talked about how we don't actually have to be concerned about it as much as we've always thought we had to be concerned about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the phrase, and right, and the phrase largely comes from the uh, cocktail making scene where they feel um, if you shake, if you shake an alcohol, you quote unquote bruise it, which, uh, which really means you're really watering it down a lot or oxygen, uh, aerating or um, oxidizing it too far. So yeah, it's good, good, you know, good to know. Yeah, Jamie, why don't, why don't you, I I know you're going to have a great favorite moment. So why don't you tell us? uh, I mean, actually, one of my favorite moments was listening to the podcast that you guys did in Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I really love that one because I could sort of hear things going a little sideways, like at some points, like it was, but it was just like a total pleasure to to like listen to. And even though I was super bummed that I, I wasn't there and I was having a horrifyingly bad FOMO at knowing that you guys were at the Beaumont hanging out with Dixon and um, drinking four roses. But I, I, I really, really love that one. It was great. It made me laugh a lot. It was, yeah, I think that's my, so far my favorite. That was a lot of fun to record at 2 a.m. in the Louisville Marriott. After uh, a bottle of four roses. I liked when Mark just dropped the L in alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> alcohol oh that was pretty sweet that's like when i listened to that it was like okay <laughs> you could tell if you there was editing because it would reappear or disappear <laughs> yeah we were we were basically eating and drinking all day um yeah. and i remember glenn had uh took a lot of pride in like trying to like i don't know if embarrass is the right word but he's just like all right mark let's get out of here and Start up a podcast <laughs> right in front yeah. of the waitress. <laughs> I was into it. You, you tapped into something. Super <laughs> All right. You know what the cool dudes do. Yeah, it's 2 a.m. It's last call. Podcast. We're going to go podcasting, uh, which is pretty much how that podcast happened. 
Well, it was very um, sincere, and it was a total pleasure to listen to. I loved it. So overstimulated, all of us. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think the other one, I think as a narcissist, obviously all of my favorite moments are going to involve me, but the podcast (laughs) that the three of us did the first go-around I thought was wonderful. I thought there was a real chemistry there. So yeah. I'm happy to be I able to, so. uh, to repeat that for the uh, silver anniversary, apparently. That's Aww. the 25th. Yeah, there nice. we go. Nice. nice. No, those, for us. Yeah, I think those are both both great. Really, really enjoyed them. I, um, I think uh, me and Mark Rainer uh, geeking out about scotch was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would probably that be fun. a great moment for me. I was just like, wow, this is, uh, this is great. You know, it's been sort of like looking through this list of, of episodes that we've done. It's kind of cool that people uh, are so awesome and want to chat with us. Like we've had some really incredible guests coming on. And I'm not just talking about you, Glenford, but I am talking about you. Um, but it's like people are so nice. And whiskey geeks are kind of awesome because they're just like, oh, you have a whiskey podcast? And uh, sure, I'll, yeah, I'll come on and talk whiskey with you guys. Like, that's awesome. Like, Davin is, it's pretty cool, right? Like, Davin is like basically like Canadian whiskey, like royalty. And he was like totally on board. And, you know, like, Reed Mittenbuehler was awesome. Um, Eric, like, I could go on and on. Like, it's just been awesome to, to get the opportunity to talk to all these really smart whiskey people that know their stuff. As far as industries go, whiskey is just such a great industry. Everybody, like, there's enough whiskey for everybody. We all have our favorites, but we all also appreciate other whiskeys as well. And, uh, yeah, it's a great, friendly, open industry. Um, I think the... Uh, you not- say there's enough whiskey for everybody? There, there is. I mean, not the whiskey we all want to buy at a reasonable price. I'm making a face right now, Mark. I know, I know. You're like, <laughs> I can't get the battle strength. Taylor, still upset about transcendent that. whiskey. I can't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I think a lot of people enjoyed the Knock Creek versus Booker's uh, one, where where Jamie and I were very much uh, we we had that oh. complicated you know process where we we're trying to mix the glasses up in the same way so we would have the same glass on the left and the right side, and we were blind tasting Knob Creek versus Booker's, and then we we thought we disagreed, and we were like horrified, and we're like, but how could we disagree? And it ended up being we just. Thankfully, we had the stickers on the bottom of the glass, so we had a backup system um, in case we got the mixing wrong. Um, and we we're like, "Oh, we've been agreeing all along. This is great." Um, but that one was an interesting one too because uh, we used like Knob Creek uh, small barrel, uh, small batch rather, small barrel. Uh, we used Knob Creek small batch, um, and we really uh, should redo that test at some point and do Booker's versus Knob Creek single barrel, which is sixty percent proof. Uh, and much closer to Booker's um, as far as the alcohol percentage. I think we just went by who won the Spirit Award in 2015, and that was Knob Creek Small Barrel, a small batch. Yeah. 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 I wish there was video of us mixing up those glasses because it was a total – it was hilarious. So it was really, really funny, us trying to be – Mark was like, okay, so switch. Okay, switch. <laughs> switch again. Switch. Switch. And it was like – it was ridiculous. Like well, it was, it was, it was the flawed system. Well, it just was, was so never successful. gonna work. No, you know, you know what the flaw? You know what the flaw was? The flaw was I probably handed you the glasses in mirror to me, not in right. Right. So like at yeah. the very beginning, it was already wrong. <laughs> From the very start, that was flawed. I wouldn't have matter how many times I said switch or at all, we still would have been at the same point. Oh, oh man. Good. It's been fun. 25 episodes. That's been fun, you guys. And watching you two sort of develop voices and figure out your approach 
in an audio sense to whiskey has been really neat and the concept itself it's been great right. it's been awesome to be a, a part of this but yeah there you yeah. go there 25. we go that's awesome you can go and celebrate lower car insurance now i think that's what everyone celebrates oh when they're, yes they're 25th oh yeah and it's the last thing and we have a theme song i can't get over that we have a theme song. Yeah, that was fun when we finally got to use a theme song. Yeah. That was like an exciting day. We got pretty pumped about it. I know, and Glenn was on that show. That was awesome. I know. It was awesome. All right, so we did a tasting. Um, we're, uh, we did this whole tasting, low proof versus high proof, and the whole idea was um, this is based on uh, – so it was uh, by Bourboner.com um, did an article about whether we're proof obsessed, whether uh, we as whiskey drinkers are obsessed over really high proof whiskeys and whether – you know, this isn't the right way to go. Maybe we're just kind of, we're too obsessed over that number. Um, so it was, it was partially um, uh, based on that, that I decided, well, let's do a whiskey tasting where we do uh, low proof versus high proof and bring in, you know, same as we did last time, we brought in like, you know, five or six uh, whiskey wine drinkers, a, a wide variety of palates. And it was, and also just a lot of fun people and friends. And, um, and how do we what do we prefer, the lower proof or the higher proof whiskeys? And the other part of this was, well, I mean, you can't have an identical whiskey. So we're, you know, they were all very much like they were aged differently. Maybe there was differences in the whiskeys, but the whole thing was that came from the same distillery um, and were very similar product in as much as, as close as we could get. So everything was blind. Um, I did. Um, so I, I, I wasn't blind in the tasting, but everybody else in the tasting was blind. Uh, and Glenn and Jamie were there, of course. Well, you were blind for one round. Mark. I was. So I was. Uh, let's be very honest right now. <laughs> oh, that that we'll get to that round. <laughs> that round was. Oh man, if if we did record that, and if I have the uh, everybody's outrage over <laughs> how I messed that round up, we'll definitely play it. <laughs> that, that experiment is completely off. Bottle, like, oh, and then I just grabbed it and opened it. That's oh, so funny. Okay. You're right. fired. No. You should. I was outraged. I, I actually thought. To it. rationalize it? Oh, yeah. The, the oak barrels would do this to it. That's why they taste like nothing alike. It's just age. Product of age. Oh, man. I, if you guys had, like, eggs in your hands, if there were any, like, oh, soft sure. throwing Rotting fruit. fruit, you would have thrown it at me. I was just like, oh. We'll get to that. Let's start. Out. We'll start off with first round. The first round is going to be nice and easy, nice and quick. Um, we did um, the first round was Glenfiddich Distillery. We did the twelve versus the fifteen-year-old uh, Distillers Edition, which is um, which is bottled at higher proof. The twelve is bottled at forty percent. The Distillers Edition is bottled at fifty-one percent. So we had, you know, it was different eight statements. I mean, there's there are difference of three years. Um, but mostly, I think the flavor-wise, at least for me, the biggest flavor difference here is the um, alcohol content and what that adds to the drink. So um, I don't know who wants to start first. Uh, in my head, I, what I remember from this is um, everybody sort of being like, oh, this this one, which was a 12, uh, this one's like fine sipping whiskey and i remember as soon as i took a sip of that 15 when i drink single malts i get like my lips get super buzzy like and when i drink super high proof single malts like my lips go like they're they get really buzzy and so i was like okay i like and i like that sort of sensation like i think i'm like yeah i'm drinking something high proof which i think i am kind of proof obsessed so I immediately was like, I really like this, um, the one on the right. 
and that was the 15, the distiller's edition. Um, it's hot from what I can recall. <laughs> it's a hot one, but I really, uh, I've, I, I liked it a lot. During this tasting and drinking this scotch, I immediately said, I've already burnt my palate off here. So like, I'm essentially going to pass on this round, but the distillery's edition was quite good. The thing that was most interesting to me during this round was we were tasting with, uh, another lawyer and a fellow who's creating a distillery in Ontario uh, called Mike Hook. And he, you put, uh, you put the Glenfiddich 12 in front of him and within about 10 seconds, he said, that's Glenfiddich 12. Yeah, oh, yeah. that was like in the crazy. Same way that if you put yeah. Johnny Red in front of me, I've attended enough crappy political conferences <laughs> or law conferences just to know like, uh, all right, this is <laughs> Johnny Red. You need to clean a bathroom. <laughs> you got it. Marching orders. Here you go. Um, yeah. But the, uh, the 15 was quite nice. Yeah. But for me, it's like, it's, this is a, it's a really difficult, uh, it's really difficult tasting to undertake because typically there is a major correlation between the complexity of a whiskey and the age and the care and the price and the proof. So it's really difficult to pair two whiskeys beside each other that have had similar care taken of them or that are aimed at a similar drinker. Uh, and this is a great example of that, I think, because Glenfiddich 12 is like it's a it is a drinking scotch. Uh, and Glenfiddich 15 is like there's been some care in making that like they've thought about how they want to make it. They're not just trying to fill a uh, uh, like a stencil with flavor notes. They, they have an idea in mind. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's um, it, it's really um maybe underappreciated in the uh, whiskey world it's just because it's also not that expensive um it's you know i mean here it's 80 something dollars it's probably closer to 50 bucks in the u.s uh it's pretty affordable good drink and 51 percent. i think it's got enough and I, for me the what makes the 12 kind of like you said the day-to-day drinker which is you know it's it's a very rich but soft drink it's not it doesn't have a lot of camry yeah, it's got no. It doesn't have a lot of. It doesn't have edge, and it doesn't have like that that interesting sort of story to it. It's just like, yeah, this is a single malt scotch, and the fifteen does have that edge. And I think I think it's a really great one. And I think pretty much everybody at the table, uh, with the exception of uh, Mike DeCaro, um, liked the uh, the fifteen more. I think the wine drinker was like, yeah, the 12. 12 is the better one, which is interesting. I mean, I think that that kind of makes sense as well. Because, I mean, it is proof level is something you get used to. And, and I know, you know, a lot of us do drink um, higher proof whiskeys. Um, and so we had a, at least a few, uh, Mike DeCaro and Jen Chan, that did not did generally not drink as high proof whiskeys. And, um, but their palates still differed. Absolutely. That's for me. Like, speaking from my personal cabinet right now, I have been let down by every non-Scotch whiskey whiskey that I own that is less than 90 proof. I was just going to say a very similar, I really agree mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great so point. It's like, and to the point where even with scotch, it's problematic to, to pick it up. And when I come across a bourbon and they're like really well-made bourbons that roll in at like 43 or 42, Evan Williams single barrel, for example, is like 43% alcohol. Uh, and I just like I understand that it is well composed and a reasonable whiskey and nice and they've taken a lot of care in what barrels they use, 
but it just is it's made for a whiskey drinker i think in like 1996 yeah like it's like you're you've got windows 95 and <laughs> you're trying to figure out whether you want to drink this straight or on the rocks probably on the rocks like like we're just in a totally different zone now with our whiskeys yeah i, I, I like that um that the dated concept um and I mean, Jamie's said this before. I, you know, Jamie said, you know, you you will use ice and with lower proof whiskeys, but not with barrel proof uh, or higher proof. And I think that's a interesting thing, yeah. right? It's like y- you want to get you want to get all the flavor in the barrel proof, but in the lower proof ones, ah, it doesn't matter as much. That you might get different flavors. They kind of they change. You they get a little more interesting with with a little bit more water. It just it, it changes in your glass a little bit. Um, because just at 40 proof, yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, so to, and I guess like this is, we're doing this a little bit backwards. So we've gone through the first round, but just in a general discussion, the thing that I really love about high proof whiskey is, uh, it's this idea of personal responsibility and choice and freedom. And that's why it makes so much sense for me in the bourbon world. Mm-hmm. And I'll tie it to uh, the old world. I worked at a Greek restaurant in Montreal for one summer when I was uh, 23. Uh, And the old Greek guys that I met there would water down their wine uh, on the basis of how interesting or what the quality of the conversation was like. And their rationale for Greeks traditionally making really crappy wine is that all the Greeks... Just if the conversation's boring, they add no water. Uh, and if the <laughs> conversation's really good, then they sort of water it down and keep their wits about them. Uh, but wow. it's like meant to be watered down. It is like uh, a way of showing deference to the people around you. Huh. That is very cool. And so if you're starting off with a whiskey that's at 80 proof, then you don't, you're, you're robbed of that choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You don't have any yeah. choice. You just yeah. throw rocks in it. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited to hear the, like, bottle pop noise. (laughs) (laughs) Bottle pop noise that came out in Kentucky when you and I were there. (laughs) Uh, When you you start off at, like, 60% or 58% or what have you, like, you can take that down to a bottle and bond level and still have, like, that power and maybe expose something different uh, in the whiskey or just... Put it into a place where it suits your palate the best. Mm-hmm. I think in each one of the tastings that we do uh, amongst the group that I taste with when I'm with you two, uh, I learn about how subjective this whole thing is. And so talking about our wine writer, who is a little bit contrarian, but definitely has a different palate as well than most of us, uh, versus, say, Jamie, who's just like, give me the straight goods. Uh, like that's that's personal preference and so being able to choose what proof you're at while enjoying the same whiskey is it's a real gift yeah yeah i agree um we're gonna uh go to round number two <laughs> i feel like um i think like out of the three rounds uh gonna bit of give, give a little bit of spoiler i think we all favor the higher proof ones with the exception of maybe round number three but we'll go to round number two um, and this was an interesting one because I had messed this one up. Uh, it was supposed to be old granddad, 80 proof versus old brand, old granddad, 114 proof. Um, and 
I what what happened was um, uh, Jen Chan that uh, just recently came from the U.S. Uh, brought in old granddad, and she also got uh, Wild Turkey's uh, rare breed. And the bottles kind of look very similar from the top. They both have really like fatter corks. And I literally had them both. And normally, of course, when I set up tastings, I taste everything beforehand. And I've never actually had Old Grandan in 14. And it's been a while since I've had Rare Breed. So it was one of those things where I'm like, well, I, I literally picked out the wrong bottle and I'm pouring it out. And I poured out Wild Turkey Rare Breed instead of Old Grandad 114. We Should- figured this out because when you brought the bottles out, the plastic wrapping was still on the, the bottle of <laughs> Old Grandad 114. And I was like, Mark. How did you manage to pour it? It hasn't even been opened. And his face, his (laughs) face was just like somebody just punched him in the face. Like his eyes went wide and it was like, oh no. Right. Because I literally, right. That's how we found out. Because I brought out the right bottle. Like, oh, this is old granddad 114. (laughs) And Jamie's like, it's not been opened yet. I'm like, oh crap. (laughs) That would be the best part of the recording of the tasting. Oh, the tasting for sure. we recorded, there was a mic in the middle of the table and it's awful sound quality, I'm sure, but just the if the aha moment of yeah. these whiskeys have nothing to do with each other other than the fact that they're bourbons and you've all sat here for the last 25 minutes rationalizing how they're totally <laughs> the same thing and we're just missing something because it's on us. Wait, how is it still closed? <laughs> I'm being oh, shit. Hold on. What did you say? Poison. Right, because I was getting a lot of questions. So, I mean, you know, the, the one rule for this tasting was it both, the, both glasses, uh, two rules. One rule was on the left side was the lower proof, on the right side was the higher proof. And the second rule was they have to come from the same distillery. Um, and so Old Granddad, uh, 80 proof, I mean, we kind of all get the flavor. It's, it's nutty. It's just super nutty. And it's kind of, you know, it's got like that. It's nutty. I mean, that's, it's all to me. It's just super not nutty. Um, and you figure, and I would have assumed that Old Granddad 114 would also be uh, nutty. And so I'm drinking it. I'm like, oh, man, this is just doesn't taste anything like it really was. And all of us, like Lynn said, we're all rationalizing. Well, more time in the barrels. Da da da. Maybe the weather was. Di- I don't know. I, we, we all had our our answers and it ended up being that they just aren't from the same distillery at all because I mixed up the bottles. <laughs> it was great. If you could find that sound clip where everyone erupts, it would be kind of a it would be kind of a treat to hear again and 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 yeah proceeds to throw things at me like literally um <laughs> glenn how, actually, how did you feel verbally, that moment yes <laughs> i i i left that tasting thinking i left that tasting thinking i was pretty harsh in whatever i had said to mark as soon as he revealed that <laughs> and i i am both like curious and slightly mortified 
that it was all caught on tape because I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember being not overly charitable. Because <laughs> you were bad. really, you were really, really analyzing these two drinks, and you were just like, "But they don't taste the same." Uh, all right, but not so blind. Not so blind. Sorry, blind. Well, it's like who is blind? I think. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh. Yeah, it was like fundamentally you mean so you try and logic your way through it and you just come back at the same place where it's like does not compute. Like, it was... The number you have dialed is not in service. Please check the number and try your call again. Oh, but I, I mean, on the bright side, I think everybody, for the most part, picked the wild turkey. Rare breed. It's super good. It's, it's fantastic. Me? I like it. It's Man. awesome. That is one of my favorite bourbons. Honestly, I love it so much. I would come back to that one time and time again. I could just... I love that bourbon. Then we also, we of course, poured, opened up the old Granddad 114, and we had all three of them. And that was an interesting debate because I think a lot of people did not like the old Granddad uh, 80 proof as much. Uh, but then the debate became old Granddad 114 or Wild Turkey. And I think it leaned towards Wild Turkey. I liked them both. I thought they were both really great drinks. Um, and I mean, but the wild turkey rare breed was just a uh, winner for me in, in that in that capacity. The surprise comparison because we weren't planning to compare those two. Isn't that part of the charm, though? It is. <laughs> in retrospect, it certainly is. <laughs> Everyone the... in the moment was furious because <laughs> it really outed us as like a bunch of a holes. You're like... oh. be an asshole here. <laughs> oh, I know, and, and you know, I have like... no idea what I'm talking about. Obviously, these are not the same juice. <laughs> Oh, the best part is I'm always so careful about these tastings. Always so careful. Everything's so well prepared ahead of time. And this, I just, I didn't have the product on me at the time. So, so good. So good. Awesome. And you know what? To be fair, the top of the balls don't look that similar. They look a little similar as far as they're not this normal small cork. They're a larger cork. But the wild turkey has a, really, they don't look that alike. No, they don't. No, no. No. But great drink. And I am glad that it managed to, like, sneak its way in there. I think it was fate. It was. It was <laughs> just there to, like... <laughs> just give me well, the whiskey I want to drink. Anything else to be said about that round? I mean, it was ridiculous and stupid. And it was, it was a surprise amazing. wild turkey versus old granddad. So there you go. It was, it was pretty fun. It was so fun. In yeah. retrospect. <laughs> in retrospect. At the moment, it was not fun. <laughs> Glenn will forever not trust anything I pour him. I'm like, are you sure this is scotch? This tastes like friggin' Canadian rye to me. Just throw the glass on the ground and smash it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I can't wait for Kentucky, you guys. I'm really oh, excited to hang out with you both. Oh, Aggressive it's, drinking. It's, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No. Aggressive tasting. Oh, I was going to say, if, if you have lasted this long on this podcast and you're still yeah, – and you're going to be in Kentucky it. for Bourbon Week, uh, both Jamie – and Glenn and myself will be there uh, from Monday to Thursday or Friday, give or take. Uh, we have a very busy schedule, as, as is always the case, uh, with a lot of different tastings and tours and, and events. But um, if you want to get in touch with us, please do. We'll do something. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. Probably involve drinking. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, round number three in the final round um, was an interesting one. And this, this round actually kind of um, inspired this type of tasting uh, to begin with in a lot of ways. Because, uh, you know, I mentioned on, you know, I do a lot of tastings blind. Uh, when I review whiskeys, I usually, I taste them on the own. I score them. I do a lot of tasting notes. And then I, and then I taste them with other whiskeys of comparable types um, and do a lot of blind tastings to kind of really see where they fit in um, as far as flavor and, and profile and everything else. Um, and sometimes they're very, usually they're very similar whiskeys because, you know, uh, but they're not always. Um, in this case, though, I, um, I was doing a blind tasting and I had uh, some Willet eight-year-old um, that um, was distilled at MGP. Um, and I had Bullet Rye, which is also distilled at MGP. And I had these two side by side. And I thought it was a really interesting tasting. When I was doing these blind uh, myself, I realized, wow, Bullet Rye really holds up really great um, in a lot of ways. Um, even though it's much lower proof, Bullet Rye is like 45% proof. And the Willet was 58.4, something like that. Uh, much different proof levels. Um, and a really great example of like how low proof and high proof play on different levels. This is the first round where we had uh, the lower proof whiskey be at 45%, which I think is a big thing to mention, right? Because Glenfiddich 12, Old Granddad, we're all 40, we're both 40%. Uh, and we've talked about, you know, Glenn just said earlier, uh, you know, 45% is kind of like a good entry level uh, with bourbon. It's kind of like, okay, now we've got some flavor here. Um, and Bullet Ride, 45%. So um, there was a lot of debate and very little consensus in this round. Yeah, I can't even remember. I can't even remember sort of what the the what people like generally. Like, I did we ever settle on this one where it's like, for the most part, everyone liked the higher proofs. But was that the case here? Also, I can't remember. No, I don't. I I mean, it wasn't entirely. I think Bullet Rye um, really did really well, especially early on. Um, like the most, the, the first immediate tasting, it seemed like Bullet Rye really hit a good flavor profile. Um, Glenn, how, what, uh, what do you think? I have very clear thoughts on this particular pairing. I really enjoyed this. Uh, and I think that, I'm going to go on a diatribe here. I apologize. Yes. Go for hey, it. It's my favorite thing to do. So I'm, I'm already on board. <laughs> Bullet Rye is very composed. It's very good. When I give it to people who don't drink a lot of whiskey, they prefer it over much more expensive whiskeys. Uh, it's approachable. It makes sense to them. And I was talking with my partner this morning who is an art historian, and we were talking about art, and I think that there's a real analogy here. Bullet rye is the Renoir paint-by-numbers of rye. Like, it's coloring within the lines. It is like reenacting an establishment rye and it does it very well it's good but it's not innovative and it's not interesting it's well composed and well put together will it is punk rock will it is like dada will it is like it's fantastic uh, and it's fantastic because it's challenging and so i mean the art example is that challenging art makes you think about something that you were like previously closed to in different ways. And so it's like punk rock showing up on the scene and all of their drummers essentially quitting on syncopation. Or when South Park showed up and they decided to make this super childlike appearing show with this crazy animation, uh, but bringing like this remarkably sharp satire. Uh, and so I think that Will It Rye, which 
is not composed and is all over the place in these insane flavors of like mint and like pine and it's like sort of chilled out too and has this weird finish uh it challenges you to think about what a rye is supposed to be like so for me i walked away from it having said a lot of smack about uh, melony flavors or what I call double bubble flavors as being a critical flaw in all whiskeys and going and drinking that Willet and seeing the things that I was pulling out of that nose and out of, out of tasting it, I, it made me recalibrate uh, myself to have a more open mind. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Uh, so, so yeah, so I thought it was amazing. And I think when you compare it to that granny whiskey, sort of like that older style of low-proof bourbon uh, that was focused on smoothness, that, and that's what the whiskey, that's what bourbon did forever, like for such a long time. W- what's fun about that Willet is that you have no idea where it's going when you put it in your mouth for the first time when you're comparing it to something that is more establishment-based. And so, so are you... Like deeply intentionally flawed in a way, but like in a clever way that makes you reevaluate what you like and why. I think you just said that you had like a like a transcendent whiskey experience at Mark Bylock's house. Yeah, I'm really upset about that article too. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong about finding some spiritualism and having a little bit of bourbon or approaching something in an intellectual way. That's not just I bottle love- hunting. That's different. I love it. I love That's it. awesome. Yeah, amazing. so I thought that I thought that pairing was amazing, uh, but for that reason, it's uh, like Bullet That's... Rye is the establishment's artwork, and Willet Eight is incredible in that it's challenging sort of the boundaries of like I really this is like over the top like prosaic language, but challenging the boundaries of of what a rye can do or, or what rye can be or what someone might enjoy in rye. And there's I like that. And there's another story here, too. I mean, this is also both ryes were produced by MGP, the much hated MGP. I mean, you look at, um, you know, all these uh, articles about, you know, craft whiskey all made in, uh, by MGP. And it's because um, and I wish to explain, um, will it, uh, it has its own distillery. But for the longest time, they've been buying rye from MGP and they've been bottling it um, as their own. Um, and they, you know, would buy specific barrels and, and specific ages. So what we were having there was a single barrel, um, you know, eight eight year nine month old uh product and bullet rye um bullet bourbon comes from four roses um but they do now have their own distillery just like willet now has their own distillery and they're making their own products uh but both of these uh because of how you know old they are they're both probably about seven or eight well bullet rye is probably about seven or eight years as well um they're both made in mgp which is you know really like i mean this is like a manufacturer is a big giant distillery and that's all they do is make rye and well they make a lot of other food products and everything else it's a, it's a big factory um and, but both to me are very enjoyable and i think you're right i think the weird thing about pairing this so if i look at this from a pairing standpoint of um the challenge with pairing this is um the bullet rye is is, is that easy candy it's that easy enjoyable drink and when you pair it next to something that is more challenging um, your first thought is going to be like, wow, this is really easy to drink. I'm going to like this more. Um, and I think maybe that's why the pairing is interesting to me. It's, um, I, I mean, Glenn, I think you said it beautifully. You nailed it on the head. Like mm-hmm. uh, that bullet rye is that like, it's just an immediate palate pleaser. It's like, you're going to taste this and it's going to be, you're going to be immediately happy. Yep. This is rye. I'm happy with this. It tastes really good. Uh, and then next to Willet, you're like, whoa, you know, like it takes you, it pushes your boundaries uh, in a way that, the bullet rye doesn't. So 
that's a great thing in whiskey, but as a pairing next to each other, um, the reason for the pairing and the story behind it is great, but you would generally not want to pair these two next to each other because they, they go just out of their going for a completely different audience um, and just a different mood. I guess you shouldn't say audience, but a different mood. Well, I clearly felt strongly about this. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's funny because I really like bullet rye. Like, mm-hmm. I really like bullet rye. Uh, and we'll just throw a dram of that into a glass from time to time and snag it. I, what I recently did, maybe three days ago, is I bought, uh, we have Rittenhouse 100 here now. And we also have Dickel 95, mm-hmm. I think, uh, or maybe 90. And I think that all of these come from MGP. Uh, so, not Rittenhouse, but Dickel does. Right, Rittenhouse has been doing this forever. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really keen to like pull these out and taste them beside each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and you know, it's it's good. It's a good way to taste. Um, I'm I actually the Dickel Rye compared to um, would be a great tasting because Dickel Rye is cheaper um, and super cheap. Yeah, it's really how much is it up. here? It's uh, thirty dollars. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah. F- funny enough, I was just double checking the uh, Bullet Rye, and there's a uh, our, our um, LCBO website says. Bullet Rye comes free with Captain Morgan's Spiced Rum until <laughs> September 12th. Oh. What kind of stupid pairing is that? <laughs> spiced Rum 50 milliliter bottle with your Bullet Rye. Talk about cheapening Bullet Rye. If, if, you know what? If I, was new to whis- if I was relatively new to Whiskey World and I saw like Bullet Rye and then like paired with spiced <laughs> Captain Morgan's Spiced Rum, I'd be like, no, this is clearly not the whiskey I want to be drinking. It's about a, introducing a brand loyal audience to another brand of verticals within your your corporate line. I mean, Diageo is so huge. Yeah, so, that was our tasting. Yeah, is there anything else that we have to talk about with that tasting? I think. Well, we I think did the a good funny job. thing is is that immediately we go from that, so we go from tasting Will It Eight to pulling out like eight bottles of outstanding single malt. That I don't remember anything about other than that I really enjoyed them and couldn't, like, I've seen them in the liquor store since and couldn't tell you the ones that I liked or I didn't like. It was just totally freestyle. And I remember having like six glasses in front of me and sort of trying to guess which one was which, but not because I had tasted them before, just solely on the basis of label because they just sort of showed up in front of me. It's like, like the greatest problem to have. Yeah. It was awesome. Oh, I, yeah. We had some Glamour AG 18, Lefroy 18, mm-hmm. Ardbeg. I can't pronounce oh, yeah. that one. Uh, Buna Bain. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Knock. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was a really good one. I like that one. What was what the uh, bunny uh, bunny <laughs> nickname? Oh, yeah. Who oh, said? I said Liz and I have pet names. Loosely, like, and they like are spectrums, but bunny something usually comes into it. So, bunny face or bunny mouth for whatever reason, I have no idea how we got there. It's not like we're tied to this anyway. So, bunny <laughs> brain is something that we've yelled at each other before. And so, I saw that label and was just like, perfect. Perfect. Who called this? Yeah, we, we pretty much at, at that point just started passing bottles around um, and, um, and just drank everything else that was around. Well, I shouldn't say everything else. We, we, <laughs> We had a limited, we, yeah. We try to be respectful of your cabinet as much as possible. We get less respectful the more we're drinking. Although you're pretty good at egging us, so you're like, ah, just go in there, just it. And it's like, oh, you really want me to, you know, grab that 
a couple hundred dollar bottle. Sure, why not? Yeah, I'm on board. It's, cool. it, you're very generous with your whiskey, Mark. Yeah, but I, I like it too because I, I get to uh, insert like cheaper balls. So I had like the three ships uh, five year old whiskey that I um, uh, from um, from South Africa that I just kind of put in the mix. It's a thirty five dollar bottle here, and um, and it did pretty well. People kind of liked it. It was uh, mm-hmm. you know I like to get at that point. I mean, our palates are kind of done. Uh, we're not drinking too much. We're not thinking too much yeah. about what we're drinking. Um, but it is also uh, great to get that immediate instinct of what people like so you taste something like do you like it or don't you like it and get those impressions really quickly um and there was a lot of discussion i mean to be fair even at this this point in the night um there was a lot of discussion everywhere about the whiskeys we were drinking um and overall pretty well done like nice great crowd i mean really great really well done great crowd a lot of great feedback and yeah i think that Tasting went well, even with its hiccups. To sink back, just to revisit the idea of hosting a tasting and sort of what you take on as a host, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty amazing. Like at the same time, so so I've been running these these lawyers whiskey tastings, uh, and for a bunch of them, Mark has come out, which has been a lot of fun for me and for the people that join us. They're typically novices or between novice and intermediate, uh, but for me, I use it as a uh, as a way to have five or six lunches without actually having to schedule five or six lunches. So smart. And it is like the most wonderful and pleasurable way to catch up with people that you share a professional relationship with, but you also enjoy their company. And uh, like the cost is, is not nothing, but it's less than having a wine tasting. It's super reasonable and it's a lot of fun. You've got people that come over for an intellectual exercise and they're engaged in what they're doing. And, uh, and to your listening audience, I can't recommend highly enough organizing, organizing some events and, and just tasting and seeing what you like, getting some Glencairn glasses. Yeah. Well, or they're rent a lot of them fun for me. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, no, they're they're a lot of fun. And, and Jamie, you did the uh, you did the chocolate and whiskey pairing event. How did that go? I did. It went great. It was really fun. Yeah, it's um, I write for a website called Schoolhouse Booze, and their whole thing is uh, alcohol education. So their like kind of tagline is "There's more to life than a vodka crayon." So they have a bu- <laughs> they have a bunch of people that write for them that are sort of. Um, you know, there's beer writers and they have wine writers and they sort of have this whole thing where uh, it's really interesting when you submit a, 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 an article for them, it has to fit into like history class or art class. So you can do like, um, you know, if I wanted to, which I, I don't because I'm not very good at crafts, but if I wanted to like make something out of a whiskey bottle, then I could like sort of post how to do a whiskey bottle craft on their website. Anyways, super awesome ladies. And um, we went to this really cool spot called Boxcar Social in downtown. And uh, we had Chocosol, um, which is this awesome chocolate company come in. And we basically poured uh, four different bourbons and paired them with uh, four different types of chocolate. Um, so, yeah, it was very cool. And, uh, I mean, my my palate is 
good. My palate is, is, is good. Um, but it was really interesting to see how I sort of asked people if they, you know, wanted to switch their um, chocolates and, and bourbons around that I wouldn't be terribly offended because I had reasons for pairing certain ones together. But at the same time, as we know, it's sort of one of those things where somebody might get something out of it that's completely different from what I would get. So it was really interesting to sort of see people go back and forth and repair different chocolates together. We had a um, we did like a regular dark chocolate. We did a vanilla uh, chocolate. We did a coffee, a chocolate, and a chili one. So awesome! Yeah, it was very cool to see how they sort of like brought out different things and how the 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 actual like the the bourbon itself changed uh, the mouthfeel a lot, given. Uh, when you pair it with the chocolate because it was all dark chocolate. So it would have been a whole different thing with milk chocolate, I think. But uh, it was really interesting. It was like a really fascinating exercise. But again, something you could pull off super easy at home. Um, and I mean, what's not to love about like pairing a bourbon with a chocolate? I mean, it's delicious. And the flavors just go so well together. Like when you think about bourbon, like caramel, toffee, like all those sort of really rich, full flavors with this chocolate. It's, it was great. It was super fun. No, it's amazing. And getting in touch with your palate is, is so fun. It is. I've learned that I have a super savory palate, so I totally ignore the fruits and the sweets, and it's all just, like, earthy or tree-y or, uh, <laughs> like, identify with foods that I eat. I was drinking a Burmese whiskey at uh, at a scotch tasting put on by a good friend of mine, Sandy Alexander, who is like when you had a friend who was like nine years old and invited you over and then all of a sudden like pulled out like like a pack of cigarettes or something and you're totally shocked. <laughs> like Sandy is the nicest guy and he's like, yeah, come over. We'll do a tasting at my place. And we walk into his house and he's got like a hundred bottles on the table and like my jaw just dropped. Like, what are you doing with those cigarettes? You're not allowed to have those. That's out of character. <laughs> But, like, we're drinking – he had Burmese whiskey, and I wow. kept on saying, like, this tastes like pizza, <laughs> like really <laughs> greasy pizza. I have no idea why that is. That doesn't make any sense. will never appear in anyone's tasting notes. <laughs> I also love pizza, and if I could drink a whiskey that tasted like pizza, I would be on board for that. So, Yeah, no more bubblegum whiskey, just pizza whiskey. Over it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. <laughs> And so, Glenn, um, you ha- you started a podcast. I think you were inspired by a couple of podcasts you did here. <laughs> and you're like, well, I like this whiskey talk, but uh, let's talk about law instead. Is that the idea? Yeah. Well, I'm just not credible when I talk about whiskey. Like, I'm on here as comic belief, I think. Uh, no, I'm a food lawyer by trade. I and uh, really enjoyed the podcasting experience. I have this tremendous group of, of professionals that I work with that I think are, are really smart and have really amazing ideas when it comes to talking about how we interact with our food system. And so we've developed a podcast to do exactly that, to have essentially a whiskey topic like conversation about issues in food and uh, typically with people who do very specific things in food. So it's called Welcome to the Food Court. Uh, It's on iTunes, it's on SoundCloud and on my website, uh, which I'm sure will be linked below. Uh, But in the first episode, for example, we're going to be speaking with uh, a local employment lawyer in Toronto, Carly Dunster, uh, with a law firm called Turnpenny Milne, and she has a great interest in the world of food law and policy. Uh, In the first half of the podcast, we talk about her work with the Toronto Food Policy Council, which is 
impressive as she's the first lawyer to be a member of that groundbreaking municipal body. I mean, mm. it's a global group now. Uh, she's written a major text on the subject of food law. But in the second half of the podcast, we speak about her job, which involves workplace investigations and policy. And uh, she's developing a set of workplace tools, or workplace policy tools, uh, specifically for the hospitality sector. And it's a response to, in Ontario, we've had several human rights claims recently and employment disputes that have been very public uh, that have put pressure on kitchens in and the hospitality business generally to create positive workspaces at work as a way to prevent burnout or the bleeding of talent or other bottom line business problems. So she's fascinating. And that episode will launch in early September, but it's called uh, welcome to the food court. And we'll be pumping out one of these a month because we're not as prolific as Mark is. And uh, yeah, so come and have a listen. Cause I think it's going to be really neat. Awesome. Yeah. You can subscribe on iTunes already. It's all, it's all in there. Yeah. 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 I'm going to do it. I love the intro, uh, the, the, the intro podcast you did. It was awesome. It was very funny. Good. Well, you liked the first cut that had the family and friends jokes. Oh, I feel like you're, you're going to need to. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you, you may need to have like an aftercuts with just the, the funny bits at the end. <laughs> a blooper reel? <laughs> yeah, blooper reel. It was great. That's I love blooper reels. Get on that. I think we could probably do an entire show on blooper reels so far. I think there was an entire, there was a conversation that Mark and I had once about boy bands that never saw the light of day. Oh, I think that's right. Blooper reels are like <laughs> Really A plus stuff. Really good. This is the Lance Bass of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not, we're totally getting off topic here, but I was telling a friend that I was going on this trip, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to Kentucky. The bunch of dudes. We'll all be together in a house. A lot of booze." He's like, "Well, isn't that just the dream?" And I was like, <laughs> "I don't know. I don't know. We'll see." I'll be reporting from the front lines. I'll be like, whose dirty underpants are these? Gentlemen, get it together. Oh, you, you have not seen us travel uh, between. So Mike DeCaro, like, obviously, um, he, um, he uh, whatchamacallit? I don't even know what it's called. What is it I called? I think sleeping in a bathtub doesn't have a specific term. No, no, I wasn't even going there. Ah! I was going to say, <laughs> right. Well, Mike DeCaro, first of all, sleeps anywhere. That's a great point. Uh, he slept on a windowsill one time, literally slept on a windowsill because he's like, ah, oh, this is comfy. I'm going to bed now. And he just slept there. And we got in trouble because the uh, owner of the of the of the Airbnb we rented, I guess they had somebody walk by. They're like, "You had you had your your uh, place overbooked. <laughs> Clearly, you had too many people there because people were sleeping in the window." And we're like, "No, no, Mike DeCarlo had his own bed. He just he just slept he on just the window. Chose he to got sleep sleepy. on the windowsill like a cat. It's good to have this on public record for future Airbnb listings. <laughs> exactly. I'm so sorry, Airbnb posters. Oh man, um, but no, he." He also does that thing where ironing that's what i was going with so mike dakar irons um he, he irons all your clothing um so you don't have to worry about that so mike dakar will iron all your clothing yeah um, okay glenn and i generally come pa- packed with a lot of stuff we put on coat hangers and like we put in the closet so there's a lot of shirts and that um yeah i mean we're all pretty um you know um yeah it's actually i was gonna say we, we were a pretty good bunch to travel with is there i can't is there a nap time Oh, yeah. Available? There's nap time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we'll have your Twitter. Where, where, where can you be found on Twitter, Glenn? Uh, at G-S-J-A-M-E-S-O-N. G-S-Jameson. 
Excellent, excellent. And uh, we'll post post the link to the podcast. And Jamie, how can you be reached on Twitter? Oh, at Bourbon Thing. But also, if you want to like us uh, or follow us on Twitter, we started sort of um, tweeting a little bit more from our podcast uh, handle at uh, the Whiskey Topic, I believe. Yeah, and we look. Isn't that horrible? Is it the Whiskey Topic or Whiskey Topic? It's the Whiskey Topic. It's the Whiskey Topic. Yeah, at the Whiskey Topic. So yeah, there's only Uh, one. There is only (laughs) one, and. our Facebook is up and running now, so you can also search us on there and uh, and give us a, a like, I guess. Like us on Facebook, yeah. Awesome. And um, next week, we're going to have Mike DeCaro on, and we're going to be talking about gin, which is a nice little like, a nice little spacer for us. Step away yeah. from whiskey, uh, have some summertime gin, gin rather. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. All right.